Welcome to Surfcast. Thank you for joining me. My guest today is Dr. David Ferguson. David is a well-accomplished guy, but his greatest accomplishment is he is the husband of Teresa. He is actually a father of um, three adult children. He has seven grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. But the cool thing is David spends his time and energy and has been doing so for all of his life, mostly um, making other people successful. He's involved in several global initiatives that we'll talk about today. But most important, Dave's my friend. And I'll tell you, that's because he will call me his friend. In just a few minutes, you're going to understand why. This guy is incredible. And I'd like to welcome my guest, David Ferguson. David, welcome to Surfcast, man. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. It's awesome to be with you. Man, I'm glad that you are here. It's kind of been a, a month of Sundays, as they say, since we've been in um, eyeshot of one another, even though we text every once in a while. So to, what I want to do, David, is I've got a, on our podcast, we do, um, I've had several pastors that have come on lately, and we're doing kind of a pastor series, and I couldn't think of anybody more suited to talk about pastors than the guy who has spent his life encouraging pastors. So give us kind of an overview of, um, we know that you and Teresa are heavily involved in all kinds of stuff all over the globe, making huge impacts, but um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing and um, a little bit about how you kind of got started in this work, David. Yeah, thanks, William. You know, particularly in the pastor area, um, you know, we served in local church ministry, a teaching pastor for a very large church for a number of years. Um, started doing retreat ministry uh, around the country, uh, networked with a lot of pastors, found a lot of pain in the pastor's homes. Um, and uh, during some additional graduate work, uh, I um, connected with a guy named Frank Minnerth and Paul Meyer, two Christian psychiatrists. Yep. And uh, for six years, my wife and I helped them start Christian psychiatric clinics in the Southwest part of the United States. Uh, our specialty was working with ministers in crisis. So we were dealing with addictions, molecular failure, suicide attempts, that kind of thing among people in the ministry. And that really shaped uh, really a couple of different tracks. Uh, we have continued to do a lot of work, uh, birth something called the relationalcare.org entity that does a lot of continued uh, counseling and help, does intensive work for pastors, pastor couples, uh, train two, three hundred uh, Christian uh, counselors in intimacy therapy to help pastors, their families. And then the other track, uh, William, that you might be more familiar with is uh, our enrichment track. My wife and I got a real burden to, to really uh, sow into the lives of pastors and encourage others to do so. Uh, to really see if we can keep people out of psych hospitals, you know, and and out of some of the symptoms that keep uh, kept cropping up. So I've uh, done a lot of work in the enrichment space, uh, started gifting uh, pastor couples retreats, uh, two nights and hotels and meals and materials as a gift. Uh, had over now 15,000 pastor couples go through those uh, for about 50 countries of the world. And uh, so that's kind of how we got started in both the more crisis care as well as prevention side of things. And that's kind of evolved into a number of initiatives globally and here in the States that continue to try to serve and support into our shepherds uh, that uh, 
really pastors would flourish so that churches could thrive, uh, so that we could transform communities with the gospel. And uh, so that seems to be a really important order of the Lord looking out after shepherds who can look out after the people who can really live in love like Jesus. You know, David, um, one of your bios, which you have long bios and you have short bios, you have <laughs> medium bios. But in one of those, um, there's a line that says early in his church ministry, David, like so many in Christian ministry, tried unsuccessfully to achieve balance between ministry and family demands. Out of an intense desire to honor God and minister to the needs of his family, he rediscovered a biblical principle that transformed his life, his family, and his ministry to others. Tell us about that principle, David. What, what is that principle, and how is that working in your life? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that was my own personal wake-up call during those uh, early years of ministry. Uh, uh, I grew up probably with a myth uh, that was very common and tragically maybe still is today, that somehow you can balance uh, ministry and family. And uh, I remember, in fact, in my wife's uh, parents' house, they always had this uh, this uh, brass set of balances uh, in the in the living room, you know, and uh, entryway. It was always balancing uh, plastic fruit, as I recall, William. Yeah. You know, and uh, the imagery there is that you have ministry on one side of the scales, you got family on the other, and you got to try to keep them balanced, you know. And if the if the family starts uh, squeaking a little bit, then you back up a little bit, you and you cut back a little ministry and. I began to realize, and I, I tried to live that for 10 or 12 years, and uh, it was a real burnout time, uh, a wake-up call for me. Early on, I had done some memory of uh, the uh, epistle to First uh, Peter, and I remember the Lord taking that passage in First Peter uh, 3 that says, Husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way, uh, lest your prayers be hindered. Uh, and uh, and that's not a verse about balance. <laughs> that's a verse about priorities. And uh, so begin to reorient those. And I, I, the principle we came to to land on out of the great commandment uh, was to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love your neighbors. And the Greek word there is near ones. And it began to say we we really have kind of a concentric circle uh, model of ministry that I love the Lord. Then I love those nearest me, the other half of me, if you will, a spouse. The, I love my children as gifts from the Lord. Then I can love more effectively within the household of faith that I've been called to serve. And then I can put his love on mission, extending uh, the gospel to other people. So I think effective ministry really grows out of uh, my love of the Lord and those nearest me. Uh, and uh and that's tragically uh, something that a lot of ministers haven't quite grasped yet. And they're still in this burnout cycle of trying to balance things that I don't think the Lord really wanted balanced. Uh, he really wanted to live uh, out his priorities through us first with him and then those nearest us. Yeah, man, I appreciate you speaking to that balance word, because too often I think that we gauge ourselves or judge ourselves based on our ability to keep the plate spinning, you know when actually um, it's impossible. And yeah, maybe for a, some kind of a sideshow or something like that, but in the life of ministry, you know, balance, I don't think even is attainable. I think it's uh, understanding priorities that you talked about. You know, years ago, I was a youth pastor and I was trying to calculate my mind as you were talking about that Matthew principle about uh, 22, maybe 23 years ago, maybe a little longer than that, I think actually, I, uh, 
I use that scripture as, you know, loving God, and loving others, but I tagged a couple of other phrases to it. And I said that our motto in our youth ministry was to love God unashamedly and love others unconditionally. Dave, I watched you for a lot of years and you've obviously done that well. Um, I want you to speak for just a minute before we get into some particulars on how to help pastors and what pastors can do to help themselves. You know, it looks like that anytime in scripture where you see, um, you know, that the, the gospel was under attack or that, you know, Christianity was under attack, it tend to grow. And, you know, now we know that our world's kind of attacking faith at every side imaginable. What's kind of a state of the church as you see it, um, you know, from a global perspective? And where do you think we are in, in this world? And, and what do we need to know about continuing to work towards this kingdom effort that you and I and so many other people that will pick up this podcast have committed their lives to? Yeah, I think uh, that's a good exhortation there, William, to, to really uh, I love the Lord unashamedly. I love that, love people unconditionally. And that's obviously the model of Jesus. Uh, he wasn't bashful about, you know, his intimacy with the Father. And uh, the stories of the gospel are all about um, his unconditional love being shared with others. So I think in our world today, uh, one of the ways that we've characterized it in the midst of as you said, a lot of attack, uh, a lot of uh, misunderstandings um, is uh, we're trying to point to this uh, little uh, illustration really in Hebrews chapter 12 that says, run the race set before us, yeah. keeping our eyes on Jesus. I think one of the states of our day is that we can so easily, if I use this language of, of running the race um, before us, we can easily get out of our lane. Our lane is the life and love of Jesus. Our lane is the gospel. Our lane is uh, living uh, like Jesus. And, and I think uh, we are oftentimes being pulled to think that somehow we have to be experts or speak into or take positions on everything imaginable uh, today, which doesn't lead to anything but more division and I think what we'll find is that if we'll continue to lift him up in our own personal lives, in, in our homes, and in our ministries, uh, that he, he'll draw people uh, unto him. And so I think that's one of the challenges uh, of today with, a, again, with a, with a world that's trying to spin all the plates and, and uh, in a world uh, probably uh, influenced a lot by the enemy that's trying to divide. And one of the ways he divides I think, is to get our eyes off of the prize of Jesus and onto so many other things that have no hope, but, but uh, dividing us and not uniting us. Mm -hmm. Well, what a good word for us, you know, because I think too often um, when we use our platforms, you know, for things that are, are not beneficial for the kingdom work, you know, now truth is non-negotiable. You know, I've told my kids I have three children. By the way, I'm a grandfather now. I have three grandchildren. <laughs> Not a great like you yet, but I'll get there at some point. But, um, you know, man, I, I tell you, Dave, one of the things in, in growing up in a pastor's home and having spent, you know, a significant amount of my early ministry in local church work, man, one of the things that I, I, I really am concerned about, I think, is that a lot of times the constituents, the congregates, the people who attend churches, don't really know how to support, encourage, 
and bless their pastors. Yeah, pastor appreciation last month, right? So many churches, we see that all over the place. Let me give them a trip. Let me, do, you know, toss in some money. But there's more than that, you know. Talk about that. What What do we need to know as congregates and attendees and churchgoers as it relates to helping the ministry? You know, again, we're not talking about just senior pastors because a lot of churches have a, a boatload of people that are considered their pastoral staff. You know, talk about that. What What do we need to know and how can we do that effectively? Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a that's kind of a good um, kind of transition to uh, just be mentioned in one resource, um, William. That's actually been just uh, in the recent last few years that uh, we have felt really impressed to bring together um, a, a group relationally uh, 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 called Care the Number Four Pastors dot com Care for Pastors dot com, and that's actually a, a relational network. Uh, denominational leaders, uh, of parachurch leaders. We've got some seminary folks in there. Uh, we've got some researchers in there uh, that are all interested in caring for pastors. And so that particular site gives a lot of resources uh, around uh, really what we might, what we have called biblically five dimensions of flourishing. I use the term flourishing pastors. And so we've We've actually uh, tried to put together some resources of how can I help my pastor flourish in their faith? Um, how can I help them flourish in their relationships uh, with things like uh, just encouraging, you know, family nights uh, for them and their family? How can I encourage them in their uh, emotional, mental wellness? Uh, things like sabbaticals, uh, things like kind of insisting on a day off. You know, uh, how do I help them uh, in their uh, wellness? How do I help them in their vocation and calling uh, that really as a, as a congregate continue to encourage them to be connected um, with other peers outside uh, their local church to make sure there's a accountability network, that there's some opportunities for iron sharpening iron, iron to, to participate in some pastor roundtables on best practices. And then even how... Can I, as a congregate, help them flourish um, as stewardship and even financially uh, to make sure uh, that uh, the, the, the same kind of thinking that uh, most of us in the pews would be thinking about, um, about things like retirement, uh, of, of uh, effective health care, uh, how are those things being played out in a ministry today? We do so much uh, ministry across uh, pastors. Uh, in churches, William, that I'm, I'm sometimes really saddened at how little support there is uh, for pastors. And so um, there's a lot of resources there, and that's well beyond, as you said, the, the Pastor Appreciation Initiative. I'll give you one other that, that you'll find uh, on, on careforpastors.com. The one thing that we, we did during uh, October was we put together 31 days of prayer for your pastor. Uh, so that any church could initiate consistent prayer for their pastor. And so uh, we put together some daily devotionals um, that actually allow me to pray for my pastor and their family across these dimensions of biblical flourishing. And uh, so we've got a lot of churches actually are beginning to use that uh, where uh, elders and deacons in churches say, hey, let's, let's begin a season of prayer for our pastors. So I think that's a, that's a great resource. 
uh, for them. The other thing I'll briefly mention, particularly going through this last couple of years of pandemic and so forth, is that one of the ways we can support our pastors is not only in their personal life, like we just talked about, but in their adequacy. Uh, in other words, what you're finding today, I think, is with all the rapid changes in our, in our culture and technology, uh, in all the things that came to this pandemic, pastors, I think, are feeling less adequate uh, in leading and effectively shepherding the flock as never before. And so investing in the training and equipping of pastors to increase their adequacy to shepherd well in these challenging times is a really important way you can love your pastor. And I, I, I really like that. And as you were talking, one of the things that came to my mind that I, I use this all the time and I speak about this all the time to, to students, you know, I work in, in, in university and travel and, and speak a lot. But one of the things that I, I really um, hone in on is this idea that you're created for community. You know, none of us were created for isolation, but yet a lot of us find ourselves in isolation, right? Um, give me a practical, give me a practical approach on how an attendee can go to their pastor and say, you know, because I mean, you just gave us five, you know, particular areas, faith, relationship, you know, emotional, mental wellness, vocational, and then, you know, um, stewardship and financial give us a way, just pick one of those. And maybe the one that is, you know, problematic the most for, for, for pastors. Um, how can a congregate approach a pastor in a good way to help them understand, man, I really care about you. This is not a critique of you. This is a care for you to help you. You know, how do we do that? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. First of all is maybe, maybe I can start with what you don't do. Um, good. And that is, there is way too much kind of subtle comparison uh, of pastors out there today. Man, when you start putting people binge watching and binge listening to stuff on the internet all the time. And uh, so suddenly here I am leaving church and I'm recommending to my pastor, man, pastor, you wouldn't believe this great sermon I listened to last week. I didn't even got out of the one I was in, you know. Um, so I, I think that's something that uh, that people in the pew want to be very careful about, yeah. um, because there's a real sensitivity to that today. And what we like to say, in fact, it plays off of what you just said, uh, William, which we are so excited for your investment in those next generations, right where God's planted you, is that we're living in a day where community really trumps content. We, we can get content off the internet, um, you know, 24 seven, but what we, what's really needed is connection and community. Yeah. And so if, if I, if people in the pews would really value this relational connection, that's being fostered within a local fellowship, for example, uh, rather than compare uh, how good is, is, uh, is, is the content I just heard compared to some content I heard on the internet. I'd say that uh, as being a really important caveat. And then proactively, I think one of the things that um, is, is beginning to happen uh, across uh, the, the Western world particularly is the development of pastor covenant groups, mm -hmm. uh, encouraging pastors 
to get together for community with other pastors, even across various tribes. Sure. Um, I think one of the healthiest things we can do for our pastor is encouraging their friendship, their fellowship across the kingdom in that community. And so uh, I know in many cities, we have the opportunity to work with uh, pastor prayer networks uh, to begin to, to, uh, to start a pastor covenant groups where once a month we've got pastors across various denominations uh, in various pastor roles, doesn't have to be all senior pastors, just getting together for what you just said, community. We're not here for best practices. We're not here from the latest and greatest, you know, techniques and tools. We're here for doing life together. Mm-hmm. And it can be simple as, man, we're going to spend uh, the first 20 minutes just rejoicing with those rejoice. Let's Let's, let's talk about celebrations. And then we're going to spend 15, 20 minutes just um, uh, mourning with those who mourn, uh, just sharing concerns and praying with one another. So I think encouraging, you know, there's too much, I think there's way too much um, isolation within the tribal world of, of denominations today that one of the things our people in the pew can do is encouraging uh, our shepherds to really have community that's kingdom-minded uh, in our communities. I, I think that would be a real big help. Let's uh, shift a little bit now because we, we've heard from you on, you know, what congregants can do, what people in the pew can do. Um, what can pastors do to help themselves? And what are some indicators that a pastor needs to be able to recognize if they need some of this professional help that you guys have talked about? So that's a two-part question. You know, somebody who's really just burning the candle at both ends or not at a crash site yet, they're doing okay, but man, they need a breather, you know, um, what can they do? But then the person who's like, man, I, I can't do this anymore, but they don't have the, the trust in place to be able to say, I can't do this anymore. You know, let's try to help them before they crash kind of a thing. You know, speaking of that, if you will, Dave, whatever, whatever you think would be appropriate in that order. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, one one strategy that's interesting uh, that could come either from uh, those in the pew or from the pastor is having a pastor prayer team. Uh, Our research with uh, with uh, David Kinnaman and Barna would say that less than about 15 percent of pastors have a pastor prayer team um, such that one of the real practical things could be in in humility, a pastor going before his elders, deacons, church leaders to say, man, would you believe God with me that he would give me seven people, maybe seven couples, (laughs) you know, who would just pray for me and my family this coming year. Uh, Give me, give me a, give me a, a couple that would pray for me on Mondays, you know, and somebody pray for me on Tuesdays. Doesn't take a big church. Just, just give me seven people. You can grow it. And we got a lot of bigger churches that, you know, they have 31 prayer partners, one, one a month, sure. but start, start with a pastor prayer team. That'd be a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that's interesting because if you can't pray yourself, how can you encourage people to be on a prayer team? <laughs> Just kind of a, a, a thought that came to mind there as you were as you were talking about that. Uh, yeah. You know, Dave. Yeah. And as far as your as far as your uh, question about you know how do I know and where do I go if I'm feeling burned out, you know, stressed out? A couple of things. First of all, 
you know, and you, you have heard a little bit of the, this concept that, um, that uh, all of us at times have uh, coming forth out of us, if you will, some unproductive behaviors. You know, sometimes we're impatient. Sometimes, you know, we're depressed. Sometimes we're escaping into, into TV or into technology. And, and it, the first thing is to be on the lookout for those symptoms. Yeah. What symptoms am I beginning to see that are indications of things unresolved, uh, unhealed, unproductive inside of me? And, um, and don't ignore those symptoms because we say symptoms left alone never get better, okay? Right. And, um, and so be on the lookout for those. And then uh, to really, I think, have a couple of things. One, um, we, we, again, that's one of the reasons you want to have some peer support. It's not good to pastor alone. And so um, having uh, peers that you can share with, uh, pray with, uh, is critical. And then beyond that is as needed, get help. One of the care for pastors uh, partners, is, for example, is folks on the family. And uh, they actually have a free pastor care line. It's manned from, I think, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. in both English and Spanish uh, that will take uh, uh, calls from pastors and pastor's family uh, to simply share, pray, and oftentimes give referrals to um, Christian counselors in communities all across the country. So uh, that's one of the resources uh, that, uh, that we, uh, we have a Care for Pastors um, email newsletter that goes out every month. And in that is uh, always a monthly feature on uh, Focus on the Family's Pastor Care Line. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about pastors and, you know, we realize that there are both male and female pastors, you know, who are working in the kingdom. And we, you know, a lot of times I think that when people talk about pastors, you know, it's kind of like a a one-sided thing. But we know that, man, that that family unit is critical. Um, Speak to the the family, the the marriage, the team, you know, of the husband and wife, uh, depending on whichever one of those might be in the pulpit on a regular basis or in some cases, both, you know, speak to them for just a minute. We're, we're nearing our time here in a little bit, but I wanted to, you know, since this is such a heartbeat of you and Teresa, you know, speak into that for just a minute on, on uh, encouraging those people who, um, you know, others looking on may not agree with their models or even support their models or whatever the case may be. Speak to that, Dave. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, what we find is uh, in our, in fact, our care for pastors work um, uh, has a special, you know, special track, so to speak, for uh, women in ministry as well as pastors' wives. And so there's unique challenges there uh, when a uh, uh, husband oftentimes is playing more of the vocational role um, and uh, journeying uh, with a wife who's called into ministry. And uh, and yet, I think there's some similarities that go back to what my wife and I learned to do when we were uh, coming out of this myth of trying to balance family ministry. And that is, we did two practical things. Uh, first of all, we started weekly. Uh, you can call them what you want to. Back then, we called them weekly uh, married staff meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I called them that because I was trying to get men to buy into the idea, you know, need to have a staff meeting with my wife. You know, I like that. <laughs> and uh but it was like, this is our hour and a half time. And back then, uh, early stages of early days of computers, uh, my admin, administrative assistant would take Thursdays 
and block off of my calendar from 12 to 1.30 and put Teresa in there. <laughs> and she would do that for the whole year. So the first appointment that anybody got on my calendar was my wife. That's good. And, and we made sure that that time was primarily focused upon us as a couple. Uh, we worked on goals, uh, spiritual goals, family goals, social goals, financial goals, and our family. That was not a time to rehash and rehash ministry. We did enough of that just going through life. That was the time to focus upon us and our relationships. So having that kind of intentional plan schedule couple time is really important. Secondly, uh, on Thursday evenings, we started family night. And so when we had kids at home, that was, you know, I'm going to be home uh, early on Thursday night. I'm going to help with dinner. That was a miracle, William. But I actually helped with dinner uh, and uh, helped get the dinner cleaned up. And then we had uh, fun together as a family. We played games together as a family. And uh, we had to be intentional about that. And our kids kind of grew up really looking forward to that. And it's one of the one of the reasons my wife and I can look back now and see that two of our daughters uh, are still involved with us in ministry. Uh, our son is walking with the Lord and we're very involved in his uh, personal training business, supporting him. And then our grandkids really uh, taking on these same family uh, heritage uh, lifestyles. So I think we have to be intentional uh, to nurture these closest relationships. Man, I love it. And I think that, um, you know, hearing you say that and giving those personal real life examples is, is kind of what is helpful because everybody can relate to that. Hey, let's just do some just for fun questions for a minute. Okay. Just for fun. Um, let, we're we're going to close out here in just a few minutes, but uh, just for fun. Um, what do you do to recharge? Yeah, well, that, that's actually a funny story uh, because, uh, you know, my wife teases me. I'm overly educated beyond usefulness. That was her, <laughs> that was her reference to my uh, continued academic pursuits. So I actually like to read research articles. Oh, wow. Okay? So I spend a lot of time just reading on uh, social science, on culture, um, you know, uh, for the last two months, I've been uh, off into the names of God and uh, putting together some uh, uh, some uh, some devotionals around the top twenty uh, names of God. That's so that actually is not work for me. That's actually recharging. The second thing is uh, uh, years ago, my wife and I decided to move out uh, on uh, Lake Travis here in Texas so that we could have a place that our kids, grandkids would want to go to. Yep. And so believe it or not, we spend some time just hanging out on a, on a dock um, and uh, in the back of a pontoon boat. And I don't really like to sweat, uh, but uh, it's actually good for me. And, uh, and most recently our whole extended family has decided to build, uh, buy some property outside of Austin. And so we now are uh, clearing bushes and uh, trimming trees and uh, about to put in a septic system and a road out there. So I am really sweating uh, lately, but uh, that that's also very relaxing for me. It's a good, definitely a change of pace. I spend most of my time in an air conditioned office sitting down, not bending over uh, picking stuff up or trimming bushes, I promise you. 
you know, they make side by sides that you can drive and have those children and grandchildren and great grandchildren do the work for you, Dave. So, yeah, I know. And, you know, I'll tell you, William, we're really thrilled that these grandkids are wanting to show up to go to work yeah. and help us with bushes and trimming things. And I'm thinking now this, it doesn't get any better than that. We're not having to make them. They're actually wanting to be together as a family. And that's that's been a really awesome legacy that we're thrilled about. Yeah, but they also know you're not going to live there forever, and they get to. So, uh, you know, yep, that's going to work as well, Dave. All right, let's talk about reading again. Um, just, uh, just for fun, favorite book you've read that is not a research article this year? Yeah, you know, I I reread uh, uh, "Start with Why" by Simon Sinek. Yeah, uh, and I reread that again. I read it, you know, when it first came out with more of a business focus, since we do some work in the. Uh, in the uh, business training world, but I reread it just this year, uh, looking at uh, the whole idea of why, I'll be honest with you, why is all this pandemic stuff spinning around us from God's point of view? And I can't help conclude, but conclude that if you begin with why, then you understand what you need to do, and then you understand how to do what you need to do. And I think the why behind a lot of what we got going on in our world today is out of Hebrews chapter 12, God is shaking man-made things in order that only those things that cannot be shaken remain. Mm -hmm. I believe we're in a period of great shaking, William, of man-made religion, man-made stuff, but it's got a purpose in order that only divine eternal things remain. So the big grand why uh, that I'm trying to champion the pastor's is uh, is basically, man, we've got to be communicating to our people. God's trying to get us closer to himself and to one another. And we need to focus on making that happen. Stay in our lane and you'll find that that why will lead you to what you need to do and then how to do it. So that's an important book for me to kind of recontextualize uh, what the culture in which we're going through and the answers we need to be providing from our pulpits. Now we've shared a few meals together and you know, I'm a foodie guy. So uh, just for fun, what's your favorite food and your favorite restaurant? And where is that favorite restaurant? Yeah, that's great. You know, I probably got two favorites. One, I, we, you know, I'm in Texas, so we've got a Steiner Ranch Steakhouse. Uh, so you got to have steaks. It's got to have a view of, of the lake. Uh, and it's got a previously been on about a, you know, 30,000 acre ranch. So it's all decorated with, yeah. with, uh, saddles and the family were, uh, champion bull riders. So you got to have the bull riding pictures on the, on the, uh, on the walls. And so Steiner Ranch Steakhouse, uh, and then, uh, obviously in Texas, you got to have Rudy's barbecue. So we're big barbecue people. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and so that's usually, we've got corporate training in our building, uh, for the next two and a half days. And, and we've got Rudy's barbecue on the agenda for tomorrow's lunch. So that's kind of a second runner up favorite here in Texas. Nice. Last, just for fun question. I've never asked you this question. And frankly, I have never noticed, but since you are in Texas, and you're a cowboy kind of guy. Do you wear cowboy boots ever? And um, if not, do you wear just city shoes? You know, that's a great question. I've got two son-in-laws that are big cowboy boot fans. I've never had a pair of cowboy boots. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up and got saved in the Jesus movement. I'm a sandals man. 
Yep. And uh, if you were to look at my ankles today, you would find I rarely wear socks. Nice, nice, nice. Dave, man, this has been a pleasure. If somebody wants to connect with you, how can they connect with you via, um, what's what's some contact information for people that want to connect with you? Yeah, they can do it. In, info at care, the number four, pastors.com. That's a great way. Info care for pastors.com. And then our bigger overarching ministry is info at greatcommandment.net. It's been great to be with you, brother. It's really been uh, special. I've enjoyed it immensely. You too, Dave. I really appreciate it, man. And so, um, man, this has been a a, a good fit for us today. So, hey, guys, thank you. Um, You've heard from one of the most incredible go-getters I've ever met in my life. And it has been... um, a great episode. We'd like for you to like this episode. And obviously we'd like for you to share this episode. And as Dave mentioned, if you need some help, reach out. Uh, We can help you if you reach out. And uh, if we don't know, then we can't help, but uh, take care. God bless. And remember this, you are made for more. Thanks for tuning in to Surfcast with Dr. William Lamb. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Surfcast to stay updated on special guests and future episodes.